I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, New York Times bestselling author and TV journalist. And this is Unchained TV's Voice America podcast. For the next hour, you will hear the solution to most of the problems that plague our world. And it's a solution mainstream media ignores, even though it only requires us to make one simple change. Want to know what it is and transform your life? Let's get started. I am absolutely thrilled to have Gene Bauer, one of my heroes on today, the co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary, an extraordinary organization. These are just uh, a couple of photos of the animals that this organization has rescued. Something like 702 sanctuaries across the United States, one in New York, one in California near uh, Los Angeles, and they are having a Valentine's Day celebration just outside. It's about 45 minute drive from downtown LA, Acton, California, a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Valentine's Day celebration, and it is going to be absolutely spectacular. Gene Bauer, tell us all about it. Well, it's so great to see you, Jane, and thanks for uh, talking to me about these issues. February 11th, we're hosting an event at the farm in Acton, California, where people will have a chance to interact with farm animals, get to see them, and get to see animals enjoying life, which is unfortunately too rare when it comes to animals in the agriculture system. And then also get to try vegan cookies. We're going to have a vegan chocolate uh, candy Valentine's uh, buffet where people can pick out candies and put them in a Valentine's heart. And just be among other people who want to open our hearts, want to be kind to animals, want to be kind to each other. It's called Open Your Heart this Valentine's Day, and it's February 11th in Acton, California. And it's I've been there. It's such a beautiful place. It's absolutely extraordinary. It's like a little hacienda, and it, it's just fun. And uh, Len Goldberg says, you're my hero, Gene Bauer. Uh, I want to just show you a couple of, uh, just a little taste of what happens at Farm Sanctuary. They rescue animals from horrific conditions. And let's check out this story of a cow that was rescued by Farm Sanctuary. my gosh, you literally pulled that cow out of the woods. Is this just one example of the many rescues you do? Where do you get these animals from, Gene? Yes, uh, Finn is one example of many. And there are a couple of individuals like Finn who escaped slaughter, uh, hid out in the woods uh, to, to, to evade being captured and killed. And thankfully, kind neighbors in some cases contact us and we figure out ways to feed them, make them feel comfortable, 
and eventually get them into a trailer to come to farm sanctuary. And there have been instances where individual cows who've escaped slaughter and hid in the woods have befriended groups of deer. So it's really wonderful to see how these are social animals and how they look to be among other individuals who provide companionship. And once they come to farm sanctuary, they are allowed to be who they are and also to be able to interact with other animals and to do so in a positive, uh, in a positive environment where they don't have to be afraid of being treated badly, which is very much different from what happens in production agriculture where animals are seen as commodities, where they're routinely mutilated or treated in very cruel ways. And so they come become accustomed to seeing people and being afraid. And at the sanctuary, it's exactly the opposite. They learn to trust people. They recognize that when people approach them, they might get a snack or they might get a belly rub or a nuzzle. They'll get something positive. And so the sanctuaries are places of healing where the animals get to enjoy their lives and where we also get to enjoy their company. Well, I am such a huge fan of Farm Sanctuary. I have enjoyed it on both coasts. So as part of your Valentine's Day event, we decided to give away free tickets to the first two callers. We've already got them. Happens to be people I know, but this is not rigged. I've sent it out there. These happen to be the people who called in. So we're going to start with Paige. Paige in Los Angeles. And then we're going to go to Michael. Both of you get free tickets to this Valentine's Day event right outside Los Angeles. Paige, take it away. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I feel so honored. I'm so excited to be there. And I love spreading the news. I have a couple of things I wanted to um, ask you, Jean. So one is... um, I. I've adopted animals before, and will you continue that program where I can make a donation and then, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of the farm sanctuary in a sense of you're obviously caring for the animals, but uh, making that donation makes that impact. And then the second question I have for you is how was it to be on mainstream media and have them question you uh, in the way that they did? <laughs> it's happened several times, right? Yes, yes. No, well, thank you so much, Paige. And yes, we have the Adopt-A-Farm Animal Program where people can adopt or sponsor an animal who lives at the sanctuary. And we send pictures and updates of the animal and you're part of Farm Sanctuary that way. So that's absolutely available. And in terms of being in the media and answering sometimes provocative questions, uh, it's been interesting. I've been fortunate to be on a variety of different shows, including, amazingly and kind of surprisingly, Tucker Carlson. And he actually agreed with most of what I said. And later on, after that show, he said he went home and ate a salad. So one of the things about Farm Sanctuary is that we speak to people where they are on their own journeys. And we believe that these issues uh, of kindness resonate across the board. Most people would rather not cause unnecessary suffering and harm to other animals. And we just want to provide inspiration and opportunities for people to live more compassionately, to live in a way that is more aligned with our own humanity, and also to eat food, to eat plants instead of animals, so that animals don't suffer and that our health improves and that the and also that the well-being of the planet improves. Animal agriculture is one of the top contributors to the most significant environmental problems we're facing today, including the loss of biodiversity, including the climate crisis, 
And by shifting to eating plants instead of animals, we can make a big difference ecologically as well as for other animals and for our health. All right, we've got so many callers. We are gonna move through them. Michael in Los Angeles, you are also getting a free ticket to the event at Farm Sanctuary in Acton, California, which is just about 40 minutes outside of downtown. Like I'm in uh, basically near the beach in the Venice area. I can get there in 45 minutes. So it's a great place to go out and visit. It's one of the closest sanctuaries that there is. And so it's a great way to go out and get your fix of beautiful, happy, rescued animals. Michael, your question or thought? Wow, thank you so much, uh, Jane and Jean. I, I'm so excited to, to win. And I've never been to Farm Sanctuary, so I'm really excited about this. And uh, yeah, I wanted to ask Jean uh, a couple questions. Um, when did you become vegan? And what was the motivation for you to do so? Uh, how did you make the, the connection is what I'm asking. And thank you. Yeah, again. No, no, thank you, Michael. And I look forward to seeing you on Saturday and I'm glad you're going to visit the sanctuary. So I went vegan in 1985. I was in my twenties. And prior to that, I had heard a little bit about factory farming. So I decided never to eat veal. Um, but I, the more I learned, the more I realized that I didn't want to be part of a system that was causing unnecessary harm to other animals, but also to the earth. And as I learned about factory farming and realized that it was possible to live well without eating other animals or animal products, I went vegan. So I kind of wanted to do it, but when I realized that it was possible, that was really for me uh, what led me to finally make the decision. And since that time, I've, you know, I co-founded Farm Sanctuary in 1986. I've spent many days and even years going into factory farms and documenting conditions. And the more I have seen, the more I am committed to a vegan lifestyle. You know, as human beings, we have a lot of power and a lot of capacity to cause enormous harm. And I think with the power that we have, and we also have responsibility. And it's important for us, I think, to live in a way that it, we feel good about instead of living in a way where we're causing harm and then say, don't tell me I don't wanna know about factory farming. I think it's important for us to take responsibility and then ultimately to make choices that, that make sense for ourselves, for other animals, and also for the planet. Well, we've got, again, a lot of callers lined up. So we're gonna run through these. Michelle in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Jean. Hi, Jane, hi, Jean. Thank you so much for all you do. Um, two questions. Uh, first of all, I've never been to a sanctuary. I've been vegan for a long time. I'd love to know what should I expect. And Jean, I love your philosophy about meeting people where they are. And um, it's frustrating to me because I'm trying to help and influence my friends and family and people I meet. And that motto and that uh, idea is really uh, what I'm trying to be guided by. How did you come to that? No, well, thank you so much, Michelle. And the sanctuary is a place where being vegan is normal and where animals are our friends, not our food. So that's what you can expect when you visit. In terms of this approach to speak to people where they are on their own journeys, uh, I found that it's actually effective. You know, telling people things and demanding people behave a certain way that they don't quite understand sometimes results in resistance. So I think that it's important to understand that other people are coming to this from different angles sometimes, 
have different uh, opportunities to make a difference or not. And, um, you know, speaking to people where they are and then walking forward together, finding common ground and building from there, I think is one of the most important ways we can make a difference. And even if somebody makes a small change to celebrate that, and that builds momentum to make more changes that ultimately over time can create significant, uh, significant differences. All right, we got Kimberly in California. Your question or thought for Jean Bauer, co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. Hey, thank you. I, uh, I'm bummed I didn't win the uh, the tickets, but I'm happy to speak to you guys. Thank you very much for all you both do. Um, I had a question for Gene. He's one of the um, original, I know he's not the only one, but certainly one of the original farm animal sanctuary heroes. And I'm wondering, how I was involved recently with trying to save some pigs from a shelter and chickens and um, a friend and I were trying to figure out, is there a way or is it already happening where all the animal sanctuaries are connected? You know, just, you know, we're all on the same team. If, if we need help, like, you know, one place can take the animal in but doesn't have the equipment to go pick them up. Um, another place has the volunteers, you know. How can we just all be connected and just help each other out instead of, you know, one, one um, trying to save them all by themselves? Thank you. Yeah, well, well, thank you very much for that uh, question, Kimberly. And it is impossible for any one sanctuary to save all the animals. So I'm a strong believer in collaboration. And at Farm Sanctuary, we have a farm animal adoption network that does work with a variety of sanctuaries. And we will continue doing this. Uh, and there's more animals than we can all individually help. So working together, we can do a lot more and make a bigger difference. So I think it's critically important. All right. Okay. Moving on. We've got Donnie in New York. Your question or thought for Gene Bauer, co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. Uh, hi, Gene. So um, uh, many years ago, I read this book called The Inner World of Farm Animals, where I learned that farm animals have personalities and emotions and rich family lives, and that they're really smarter than humans want to give them credit for. And so when I see the footage of these farm animals jumping off of slaughter trucks and fleeing, I wonder, do they know what they're fleeing from? Uh, do you have a sense, having worked with farm animals, are they, are they that intelligent that they know what, what fate lies ahead and, and what they're doing? Well, that's a great question, Donnie. And, you know, we are learning every day more about farm animals and who they are and their cognitive and emotional capacities. And I animals who escape like that certainly know that harm is in front of them and they want to get away from it. So I think that's absolutely the case. Whether these individuals know the details of what awaits them, is, it's very hard to say. They, they may not because they've not experienced it before. But, but animals do have memories uh, and they have experiences and they recognize when they're in a safe place and they respond to it. And they also recognize when they're in an unsafe place and they respond. So I think that's what we're seeing when we, when we witness animals escaping slaughter and literally running for their lives. All right. We've got Nilofar in Dallas, Texas. Your question for Gene Bauer. Nilofar. Hi. Um, thank you for the great work that Farm Sanctuary has done, including the very difficult undercover investigations, rescue, and obviously the sanctuary You've also done much work in the field of state and federal reform in the U.S. However, today the results show that animal welfare reform 
has really not been baby steps forward, but rather big steps backward. It ate cage-free, happy cow, grass-fed, and et cetera, et cetera, where exploitation continues under fraudulent labels. Um, if I recall correctly, about 10 years ago, Farm Sanctuary was a signatory to the Global Animal Partnership. Do you have any thoughts today about a decade later? Thanks. Yeah, no, thank you for that question. You know, I'm a proponent of a variety of different approaches to creating change. And sometimes this means passing laws to make conditions less bad, which also tends to drive the cost of animal production up, which I think is a good thing. We also think it's important, though, to keep our eyes on what we ultimately believe is best, which is a vegan world and a plant-based diet. So we do both, and we work to stop cruelty, and we work to promote plant-based living, plant-based eating. And right now, one of our significant focuses is on government subsidies, trying to get the billions of dollars away from supporting factory farming and instead tilted towards promoting more plant-based foods, community agriculture programs, local food, uh, women farmers, BIPOC farmers. So we need to look at systemic solutions and preventing cruelty is just one small part of it. Uh, changing the entire subsidy ecosystem is a critically important part of it. And that's where we're putting a lot of our energy right now. Wow, that's incredible. All right, we've got yet another caller. Wow, Simone in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Gene Bauer, president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. Hey, Jane. Hey, Jean. Um, I just wanted to say Jean and I met back in the early 90s when vegan was literally something that people had no idea what it was. And we met at the Higgins, Pennsylvania pigeon shoot. And most of us were New Yorkers. I, I remember it so well because we would go into the woods. It was a horrible, horrible situation where they would shoot pigeons and the pigeons, you know, could barely walk. And we would all wait until afterward. Half the people would get arrested to try to stop and stall the shoot. And then the rest of us would go into the woods and we would try to catch all of the pigeons that had somehow made it across the field alive. Some of them passed dead, some of them alive. And we're all New Yorkers trying to catch these pigeons. And the only person that knew what they were doing was Gene. <laughs> because he actually worked with birds. When he, like I'm just like scraping around the ground and he was just in this position. He was able to catch all the pigeons. That's like my one memory I will always have. But I think it would be great, Gene, if you just talk a little bit about what it was like, not just being a farm sanctuary back in the 80s, but the farm sanctuary. You know, that was the first time that I think most of us ever heard of the concept of having a sanctuary of animals that had somehow made it out of the animal agriculture nightmare to tell about it, you know? And that's also what I love about Farm Sanctuary. Every single animal there, and I've placed animals there myself from the slaughterhouse, um, tell their own story, which I think is the only way that people are going to make the connection between what they eat, you know, literally to meet their meat. And I think it'd just be fun if, if Jean talked about what it was like to be like an an original OG of the animal rights movement to what it's like now when so many people, including huge celebrities are now talking about veganism, like it's, an, you know, like it's normal. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. I think it'd be great because people have no idea. Like Gene literally is like the OG of the movement. 
Now, well, thank you so much for that, Simone. I remember meeting you at the pigeon shoot and uh, those are some in intense days where you and I and others were there speaking out against the killing and trying to help the individuals who we could. And I'm also happy to report that a number of those pigeons ended up coming to Farm Sanctuary up in Watkins Glen, New York. And when you visit the New York farm, there are still pigeons living there who are descended from Higgins. So that uh, old history still is alive at the sanctuary. And, and you're an OG too, you've been doing this long, and so is Jane, you know, we've all been doing this a long time. And, you know, I feel very grateful for the growing awareness about these issues. I'm very happy to see businesses starting to invest in plant-based alternatives to animal foods. I'm really glad to see more awareness about the fact that animal agriculture is a top contributor to our planet's most significant environmental problems. It's really good to see people uh, being empowered by eating food that is healthy instead of food that makes us sick. Uh, you know, there are doctors now that are prescribing plants as medicine, which I think is a very positive development. You know, it's been estimated that we could save 70%, 70% on healthcare costs in the US by shifting to a whole food plant-based diet. So um, there's more awareness than ever, that is great. But at the same time, the industry now is being more creative and more clever. They're doing a lot of greenwashing, making conditions sound better than they are. So it's important for us to continue to be educational and talking about how when the industry is promoting humane meat, for example, or free range animal products, that those, those terms sound better than they are. And at the end of the day, these individual animals deserve better and ultimately should not be exploited and killed at all. So less bad in terms of animal production is better than more bad, but it's still not good. And we need to work across the board to ultimately promote the kind of world we want to see. Uh, a plant-based agriculture system with vegan ethics. And, and that's what people get to see at sanctuaries. And when Farm Sanctuary started back in 1986, we didn't really have a long-term vision of what this would become. We were just doing what we could in the moment to help individual animals who we literally found in trash cans, or we found them discarded on piles of dead animals. You know, similar to the pigeons that we tried to help in Higgins, you know, animals that were discarded or left for dead. That's the animals that started the farm sanctuary as well. You know, Hilda, our first rescued animal was a sheep who we found discarded on a pile of dead animals behind Lancaster stockyards in Pennsylvania. And so we rescued her. We thought she would have to be euthanized, but she recovered and lived with us for more than 10 years at the sanctuary. So it's, it's inspiring to see that sort of recovery for an individual and the animals as they recover and as they heal, in a sense, also help us to heal. So for me, doing this sanctuary work over these years has been something that has been healing. And, and that's what we want to do at the sanctuaries. We want to model uh, relationships with other animals that are healthier, that are compassionate, that are good for other animals, and also good for us. Whereas factory farming and slaughter is bad for animals, and it's also bad for people. You know, could you imagine what it would be like to work in a slaughterhouse? Uh, it's bad for everybody. Okay, more callers. Lindsay in Los Angeles, your question or thought for Gene Bauer of Farm Sanctuary. 
Yes. Hi, Jean. Um, I have a question about the upcoming Valentine's Day celebration on February 11th. What can people expect when they come to the sanctuary? And also, second question, how can people support you? I mean, I realize donations, but are there other ways that people can help support the sanctuary? Thank you. Yes, thank you for those questions, Lindsay. Well, when people visit the sanctuary, they'll they'll come to a place where the animals are free to live out their lives without any fear of harm from humans. And we interact with other animals if they want to. We give the animals sort of the space. Uh, we remind people that we are visiting their home and we want to be respectful of that. But people do get a chance to interact with the animals who want to interact with us. Uh, there will be vegan cookies, vegan candy, and a lot of vegans and also non-vegans. You know, one of the things about Farm Sanctuary is that we welcome everybody who is curious and open to this way of thinking. And we, we want people to come and to ask questions and to learn more about what each of us can do to make a difference. And, you know, to your question about how to support Farm Sanctuary, of course, part of it is donations, which are always helpful. But... Each of us every day can do other things in our own communities. We can make choices about what we eat. And one of the most important things any of us can do is to decide to eat plant foods and, and fungi. Mushrooms are also technically, they're not technically a plant, but they're definitely vegan uh, instead of eating animals or animal products. That's something each of us can do. Uh, and we can also educate others. We can tell people about the issues. We can bring vegan food to social events, whether they're family events or other organizations that we might be parts of, churches and whatnot. So I think each of us every day can be a model and help educate others about living more compassionately in a way that is better for ourselves, other animals, and the earth. All right, we've got Annie. Annie from Sherman Oaks. Your question for Jean Bauer. Hello, thank you for having me on the show. Jean, I so love your videos to sh that show the intelligence of the animals, you know, putting the puzzles together and playing games, listening, understanding and all. And we need more of those videos. They really touch everybody's heart. Even the most hardcore carnivorous people get touched by it. My question, uh, you know, that's, I mean, that's, and, and all the rescues you do, and of course, Jane, you, you guys are amazing heroes. Um, you've also touched the bases with, uh, you know, uh, politics. With politics, because I'm always, you know, talking about wherever I go, my protest is individual and group. Wherever I am, I'm bringing this, uh, the politics. Can we put it into the subsidy issue? Can we bring it from a different angle saying that those people who are not eating the animals, can we give them the right to rescue these animals? Because anytime the right to rescue is a big issue, and many people have been condemned, are dealing with court dates and possibilities of, of being imprisoned for years and years. Can we turn it from a different angle and say, well, we're paying for it but with our taxes. More than $50 billion is going towards... You know, yeah. can we you bring know, it and we have the right to rescue those animals, 200 or 400 animals a year or give us the money back or something. Is okay, that a possibility? I think, sir, 
Excellent questions. Thank you, Annie. We've covered a lot of ground. Thank you. Appreciate your question. Uh, Jean, yeah, we got to talk about politics and what's happening with the Farm Bill, which is, isn't it up for renewal this year? That's right. The Farm Bill is going to be discussed this year in Washington, D.C., and it's important for people to let our voices be heard. Yeah. And I have to say that, you know, uh, if it weren't for government subsidies of the meat and dairy industry, uh, the prices for the hamburgers and the fast food would be uh, at least five, six, seven times higher. So when they say, well, vegan food is more expensive, that's because our government is forcing taxpayers to subsidize this food that, as you mentioned, Gene, is also increasing healthcare costs. So on the other side of the break, we're going to talk more about that. I want to get in maybe, nope, Tom, if you're willing to hang on, we'll get you on the other side of the break. We're going to take a short break here on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook, live on the Unshamed TV app, live on UnchainedTV.com, live on Twitter, live on all of our social media. Stay right there. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. Connect with us and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Welcome back to Unchained TV on Voice America Radio. I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, and you are now re-entering a portal to a transformative way of living. And we are speaking with the one and only Gene Bauer, our president of Farm Sanctuary. This was the original Farm Sanctuary, and it has spawned 
so many, so many other sanctuaries that now there's a plethora, hundreds of them around the United States and the world, all to rescue these beautiful animals from conditions like this. This is actually just how the chickens are kept. Um, and, you know, people don't want to believe it, but now there's so many videos out there. And that's why we started Unchained TV, because you won't get this from mainstream media. So I want to talk to you, Gene, about what's happening in Congress, because that is perhaps the most important uh factor in whether we are going to survive as a species, whether we're going to combat climate change effectively. Again, if you just completely ignore animal agriculture and the fact that three times a day, people can take a dramatic action to radically reduce their carbon footprint, their carbon price tag by eating a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, obviously a cause of all sorts of other related problems like habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, human world hunger, because these animals are eating so much of the food, human disease, preventable lifestyle disease like heart disease and cancer, um, antibiotic resistance, because so much of the antibiotics, the majority of the antibiotics that are produced are fed to farmed animals. That should tell you something right there. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. Yes, including pandemics. Um, you know, we, this problem is so obvious to us. When you go in there in the halls of Congress, what what reaction are you getting? Is it changing? Yes, yes. I'm happy to say that more members of Congress now are able to recognize the contributions animal agriculture has to these huge problems that you're mentioning, you know, human health, environmental, animal cruelty, and so on. And with the Farm Bill coming up, we have opportunities to talk about subsidies and what types of foods our government has been incentivizing. Unfortunately, our government has been incentivizing foods like animal, you know, meat, dairy, and eggs that make people sick and cause enormous harm and destroy the planet. Uh, and the industry has become actually dependent on government subsidies for their profits. There was a study done a couple of years ago looking at dairy industry income and they found that 73% of dairy industry income came from government programs. So this is an absolutely inefficient, unsustainable system. Uh, and it's something that taxpayers are paying for, uh, not only in terms of profits to the industry, but in terms of cleaning up messes from the industry. There's money spent every year to clean up toxic waste caused by factory farms. And so once these externalities are weighed into the equation, it's obvious that things need to change. And in addition to animal rights organizations like Farm Sanctuary, we're now engaging with environmental organizations, farmer organizations, health organizations, worker organizations, frontline organizations, and individuals who are profoundly impacted by our food system. And I think by building this broad tent, this broad umbrella, of allies, that's how we make a difference. Uh, historically, animal agriculture has been very powerful. It still is very powerful, very entrenched. It's aligned with the petro pe petrochemical companies. It's aligned with pharmaceutical companies. Uh, it's aligned with finance and banking uh, businesses. So it's a big, deeply rooted uh, industry and, and machinery we need to, to address. But by working with a diverse uh, you know, cohort of allies, 
that's how we make a difference. And we just held a round table in Washington, D.C., uh, hosted by Jim McGovern, a congressman from Massachusetts, who is on the Agriculture Committee and who cares about these issues. And we had frontline hunger organizations, we had farmer groups, we had environmental groups, and Farm Sanctuary together speaking about the need to change our food system, and members of Congress are starting to listen. Well, that's super important because literally, I think what happens with the farm bill, since it goes on and it has such a huge impact and it's got, gives so much money to the industry. I mean, when I've read the stats and I don't want to misquote them, the amount of money that goes to either commodity crops or somehow in some way, shape or form subsidizing animal agriculture is so much, so much larger than the minuscule amount that goes to actually fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, and legumes that humans consume. And those are the healthy foods. So, you know, I was listening to a book about business and it was written by this famous guy who goes in and analyzes businesses and figures out what's wrong. And what he said was, usually with the business, there's one underlying false assumption that is at the heart of most of their problems. He finds out what it is, he eliminates that, and voila, things start running better. And he does numerous examples of how he finds that flaw that interrupts their supply chains, their stocking, their choice of products, blah, blah, blah. And it, when he said that, I said, wow, that's just like our entire society. There's this one false underlying assumption that we need to kill animals to survive and thrive that is really at the heart of all I would say a vast majority of the problems we face from obviously we're dealing with the pandemic. We don't need to get into it. We'll never know for sure. Like some criminal cases I've covered over the years. Exactly. It's quite possible. We'll never know for sure. But even the New York times did an article February 27th, 2022 saying the uh, evidence is quite overwhelming that it started at a wet market um, as other pandemics have started. Uh, but you could look at the pandemics. You could also look at the antibiotic resistance. You could look at human world hunger. You could look at climate change. You could look at habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, ocean dead zones, water pollution, drought. A lot of this has to do with animal agriculture. And yet to get people to, to make that connection is so hard. And even with very bright people who can analyze things that I can't analyze, uh, who know the nuances of of things that are highly mathematical, and yet they can't see that 80 billion animals being killed every year to feed 8 billion humans is not sustainable. What do you make of that, Gene? You know, I think human beings, you know, we, we like to say we're rational animals, but I think it's actually more accurate to say that we're rationalizing animals. And we rationalize things that we don't feel good about. You know, we come up with reasons to do things that are harmful. And I think that's the case with animal agriculture. And um, part of it is, I think, that we just need to be consistently putting out messages and educating people about the fact that we can live well without harming and eating other animals. I think that is one of those fundamental assumptions many people don't quite get. They think that eating meat is healthy or eating, drinking cow's milk is good in terms of providing calcium and preventing osteoporosis. But if you look at our country, we drink a lot of cow's milk and we also get a lot of osteoporosis. So 
just got to look at these things in a rational way, in a thoughtful way, in an empirically grounded way. And the facts are very solid, but it's more than facts. It's about touching people uh, in a way that they can hear. And uh, so it's an emotional thing. And human beings are very social animals. We tend to do what we see others around us doing. So it's important, I think, as vegans to, to model an attractive, friendly, welcoming lifestyle. And that's what we try to do at our sanctuaries is we welcome people, whether they're vegan or not, and we expose them to these ideas in an environment that is safe and welcoming. And I think that is a big part of creating change. And, you know, and we still also need to tell the truth about the violence and the cruelty that happens on factory farms, but we need to do it in a way, I think, that doesn't have people feeling they're stuck contributing to it. We need to create a situation where people believe they can make a difference and have hope that they can make a difference and want to make a difference. So this is where celebrating each positive step, I think, leads to more positive steps. But human beings are emotional animals and uh, people have attachments. And sometimes it's, it's challenging to educate and encourage people to let go of some of these unhealthy attachments like eating animal products. And it's especially difficult when everywhere, everywhere around us, people are eating animals and it's what is considered to be normal. I think we need to demonstrate and create a new normal and then help that spread. And, and I think we can, you know, although animal agriculture is linked to so many things, you know, the climate crisis, human health and everything else. Um, and it may seem so out of touch in some ways. It's also something that is right in front of us every day. Each of us every day can do something to make a difference. And not only in the way we eat ourselves, but also in the way we inspire and encourage others to eat. This is where, you know, sometimes bringing vegan food to a potluck with people who are not vegan can be one of the great ways to educate and show that it's not that hard. I think one of the biggest obstacles is the fear of change, the fear of failure, the fear that somebody's not going to be able to do it. You know, I've talked to folks who have said, oh, being vegan would be really hard. I could never do that. For example, these exact same people, when they go to a potluck and try great vegan food, go, hmm, maybe I could do this. So I think just showing people that this is possible is important. And then also challenging myths and assumptions that many people have, like, like, for example, that vegan food is expensive. And in some cases, you know, maybe it's more expensive than it needs to be, but, and that's because of subsidies. But fundamentally speaking, eating plants is much more efficient than raising crops to feed to animals than raising animals to slaughter uh, for food. So animal agriculture is inherently inefficient. And we need to point that out and also reshape the subsidies so that people are paying the real price uh, and, and, and that the animal suffering is, is people are aware of that because so often people don't want to talk about it because it is upsetting, but I think people need to know about it, but we need to give people opportunities to make a difference so they don't just feel like they're being stuck doing something they feel bad about. So it's, it's a process of education, but also of inspiration and providing tools and, and hope and opportunities for people to do better, because I think most people would rather do better. Most people would rather not cause unnecessary suffering and harm like we see at factory farms at slaughterhouses. Most people would rather not be part of that. 
Most people would rather not support a food system that is destroying the planet the way factory farming does. Most people would also rather eat food that is nourishing and healthy instead of food that makes us sick. So I think if we look at our, um, if we encourage people to live in a way that is aligned with our own values and our own interests, we can make a huge difference. And I think that's part of it. It's, it's being respectful that for some people this might be scary, but then providing the tools and the support needed to make the changes that will make a huge difference. And, you know, it's hard to measure progress in real time. We've known each other a long time, and I've seen how your growth is, as an organization, so enormous. And who knew, right, when you first started, you used to go to rock concerts and sell veggie dogs, if, if I remember correctly. That's right. We were an all-volunteer organization for the first three years, and the way Farm Sanctuary was funded was selling vegan hot dogs at Grateful Dead shows out of our Volkswagen van. We did that for three years and it was an open-minded audience and they ate a lot of veggie dogs and that's what supported our work in the early days. And we also did education. We had information about factory farming, information about some of the animals that we had rescued. And, uh, but I'm very happy to see so many people supporting this work, supporting other sanctuaries, supporting our allied organizations, that are trying to challenge our uh, cruel and abusive food system and trying to create solutions. And one of the things I've also learned over the years is that it's very easy to point to problems and there are many problems with factory farming and we need to continue pointing to those and raising awareness about those. But it's also important to point to and create solutions. And rescuing animals is an acute response to a chronic problem. We can only rescue a very small number of animals and we will continue to do that. And we also need to change the system. So ideally we will not need to rescue billions of animals a year because there are billions of animals who deserve to be rescued but who obviously we can't rescue. So um, it's a process and uh, we're in the midst of it. We're learning as we go. Uh, and it's again, good to see more awareness. Now we need to create systems and structures to support a food system that is better aligned with our values and interests and aligned with what is better for society uh, and better for animals and better for the earth uh, than the food system we currently have. So I have a question about alternative proteins. Uh, we are seeing a skyrocketing rise. You talked about fungi. We actually interviewed some uh, a company that is making what looks and tastes like meat uh, with fungi and uh, seafood as well. Uh, there's so many different kinds of alternative proteins coming onto the space. Oh, what do you see happening with that? Because my personal uh, opinion is that animal agriculture with the rise of extreme weather, uh, both hot and cold, is going to become increasingly unmanageable already. I don't know if you saw the TikTok video of all these thousands of dead cows in Texas, uh, literally with their feet up in the air because they died from heat and drought. I've spoken to a sanctuary owner uh, in Texas who says that a lot of the ranchers in her area are uh, sending their cattle to market because it's becoming increasingly difficult with the skyrocketing cost of feed and with like 500 year storms happening a lot more frequently. Uh, and then you see the extreme cold, the, the cyclone bomb in New York. Um, do you see 
animal agriculture getting more and more difficult to maintain, given things like drought, while at the same time, these alternatives are coming up. And hopefully that within a couple of years, they'll meet in the middle, Gene. Yes, yes. I think that the ecological pressures are going to require us to change away from animal agriculture. We use such vast resources that are becoming more and more scarce. Things like water, for example, and land. In the U.S., 10 times more acreage is used for animal agriculture versus plant-based agriculture. So I think that when you're you're producing like a Beyond Burger or an Impossible Burger, you're requiring far less water, far less land to produce that. So they're inherently more efficient. And I think we'll be able to compete head to head with animal agriculture on the open market and win once you have a fair playing field and you don't have these massive subsidies going to animal agriculture. So I think that there's going to be changes there. I also think there's changes happening at the local level with urban agriculture, with a food not lawns movement. In this country, amazingly, more acres are in lawns than are in growing fruits and vegetables. Now, can you imagine if a lot of these lawns were used to grow fruits and vegetables uh, and what types of opportunities there would be for landowners as well as for gardeners and businesses uh, growing food in communities where you have consumers uh, that, that need more fresh produce. So I think there's a lot of creative solutions to the system we're currently in. And we just need to create regulations and incentives uh, to utilize resources like land uh, to grow food instead of uh, growing food to feed farm animals or instead of having lawns. So I think there's a lot we can do um, if we think creatively. There's also food forests that are being developed in some cities. Um, and there's just, you know, uh, school gardens, church gardens. Uh, and a lot of people don't think we can feed ourselves this way, but I, I disagree. Uh, and, and a good example of this is during World War II, you had the victory gardens that people planted and they were providing like 40% of our nation's produce. So, and there's vertical farms, there's numerous ways that we can feed ourselves. And then of course, fungi, mushrooms, there's foraging, but there's also cultivated mushrooms. So there's many ways we can feed ourselves without exploiting animals that would require fewer resources, less land, less energy, less water, uh, and be more local. It makes all the sense in the world. We just need to create the systems and the structures uh, to make this happen. Wow. And there was a comment I just saw that I thought was so interesting because we're talking a lot about carbon footprint. And let me see if I can find it because I think it's absolutely, she said, this is a way to reduce our suffering footprint. Uh, and I thought, wow, that could be a great campaign, reduce your suffering footprint. Wouldn't that be interesting? Um, it's a really interesting way to frame it. Yes, and it is a suffering footprint. It is the suffering of the animals that we domesticate and slaughter. It is the suffering of the wild animals whose habitats are being destroyed. It is the suffering of workers in these horrible places, the suffering of people who are suffering from health problems that could be prevented. Yeah, the suffering footprint is a, a very interesting way to look at it. All right, Debbie Wall, you hit a home run with that. You could also reduce your suffering footprint. You know, sometimes people come up with what are slogans and campaigns. It's when something clicks. And I think that was 
really, really well said. Um, we've got Tom in Chicago. Okay, Tom, you get the last question of the day here for Gene Bauer, founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. Go ahead, Tom. Hi, Jane. Hi, Gene. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, my question was, as you all know, California is the number one dairy producing state in the nation. My question was to Gene, what can be done so that these dairy farmers can go into an alternate business? As you mentioned earlier, uh, they're subsidized by 70% by the government to keep their businesses afloat. What can be done to have dairy farms converted into another kind of farm where these farmers can turn a profit without causing pain and suffering to cows and animals? Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Good question. Yeah, thank you for that question, Tom. And I think that these are the things we need to do. We need to create pathways for dairy farmers and other farmers who are in animal agriculture to be able to make a living in other ways. And in California, there are a number of dairies I know of who have actually gone out of business and they've become vineyards and wineries. So that's one way. Um, but there's also lots of nut trees or fruit trees or uh, crops, vegetable crops that can be grown in California that could present opportunities. But in some cases, it's going to require uh, agricultural training, like the USDA and the land-grant universities and the county cooperative extension agents. This is this massive network of agricultural technical advice and, in some cases, funding support that should be used to transition these dairies instead of being used to perpetuate dairies, which is currently the case. So that's part of a policy issue we need to work on. Um, but when you do have individual farms that do transition and do work with USDA and, and, and their vast uh, extension network, then that's an opportunity to educate those extension agents at the USDA even to make a difference. And, and by the way, the USDA has done a lot of really bad things and they've enabled some very bad practices. But I know a few vegans, actually, that work at USDA, and the USDA has even published stories about there's a medical doctor, a vegan doctor I know in New Jersey, who's also a farmer, and he uses food as medicine, and he has vegan potlucks, and he gets USDA money, and the USDA published a story on farmer.gov about him. So even within USDA, we can find little glimpses of hope and light, and I think we need to work in those areas to help these dairy farmers and other animal farmers who are looking for a way out. Wow. Well, uh, yes. And of course, the USDA is run by a dairy industry trade group leader, Tom Vilsack. So yes. you see that the industry has co-opted a lot of the agencies of government. But we always have room for hope. There is change happening across the board because I think it's impossible. I, Mother Nature is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Mother Nature is really, really making it uh, very, very difficult to raise 80 billion animals. And they've tried, they're trying uh, pig hotels where pigs are kept in these giant like office-like structures. So sad. Um, but Ultimately, hopefully we come to our senses and we have come to the end of this hour. I can't tell you, Gene, I know you're a very busy man. Thank you so much for taking the time. And we want to wrap it up by saying Unchained TV will be at the event. I'm going to be streaming and videotaping and interviewing. Um, so please make it out there. That's going to be such fun. We really would like to have you there. And, um, it's just going to be a great event. Candy, 
vegan candy, vegan cookies, and wonderful animals, and just a big party. So I really, really hope everybody makes it. And thank you, Jean. You are my hero. I'm so thrilled that you were here today. Carry on. See you next time on Voice America Radio with Unchained TV. Follow the Unchained TV app. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. Thank you.